now that the holidays are over and you've been doing all that cooking and entertaining your friends and family well it's time to take a break and go out to eat treat yourself to a nice meal and there's no better place to do that than the legendary gray's restaurant in bridgeport check out their daily lunch specials and any weekly featured dinners on the facebook page just search gray's restaurant on there they're open for dine in and carry out and if you want that carry out through the famous window in the back call 945-9501 come on you know you want to do it let the gray family cook for yours today at gray's restaurant in bridgeport If you're looking for insurance, we hope that you would call the Andrews Insurance Agency at 542 Main Street in Bridgeport. Terry Andrews and Justin Shear are your independent agents and they're your professionals for all of your farm, commercial, and personal insurance needs. And they've been strong supporters of Red Hill Athletics for decades. So if you're brought down by a pack of dogs, get off your seats and on your feet and see T-Bone or Juice and give them a call at 618-945-945. 2881 at the Andrews Insurance Agency. Another proud sponsor of the old school Red Hill Saluki Sports Podcast is People State Bank, who's been serving Lawrence County with four locations since 2011. See them in Bridgeport, Sumner, St. Francisville, and Lawrenceville. If you need another reason to let these fine folks handle your banking needs, well, their president is former athlete for the Saluki, Stacy Moore. So go see Stacy and the whole staff at all those locations and let them handle all of your banking needs. Support this great sponsor, People State Bank. <laughs> Step by take, I know that I'm not alone. You take the home from a boy, but not the boy from his home. These are my streets, and only I've ever known. Welcome to another episode of the Old School Red Hill Podcast. We appreciate you being part of another show. As usual, I'm surrounded by a fantastic bunch of guys to help out with tonight's show. Mr. Gary Emmons. Hello, hello, everybody. Mr. David King. Hey, how's it going? And the real producer of this show set up our guest and and did a lot of the legwork, Mr. Chip Jamerson. Hello, Brian. Hi, Dave. Hi, Gary. Good to see all of you. Hey. So I think tonight uh, we will title this The Right Stuff. Outstanding. Got a a really, really good guest. I believe it's going to make for a great show. Susan Wright, uh, who starred for probably the first real big basketball star that we had on the girls side at Red Hill and, and really excited. She was, she was at Red Hill during a, a, an interesting time, both in history of Red Hill and girls sports in general, uh, as title nine was, was taking over and, and, and girls were allowed to, to play. Um, I told my daughter's eighth grade team about this and, and showed them some stats and, and they couldn't believe that girls weren't always allowed to play sports because that's all they've ever known. So I, I think that this is going to be a great episode, and, and Susan will have a lot of a lot of real good stories. So can't wait to get to that. But before we do, of course, we have to wrap up our previous episode like we always do, and we title that "Who Won." And the winner is Yeah. 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 Yeah.
So I will ask you, I'll start with Mr. Chip Jamerson, the 1975-76 school year, dazed and confused. Who won that? And I hope some people, if you haven't watched Days and Confused yet, you've gone out and you've uh, gotten a hold of that movie. So um, great movie. It was a blast through that episode. But thinking about who won those two episodes, who won that episode? Well, I think I'm going to go from my research here, and I'm going to go with the Heartacre family. Oh, good pick. Um, yeah, they, uh, they were doing it all, and they did it all for many years before this and many years after in Red Hill. So... We've got Doug. He's down at Rim Lake at this time, averaging about 22 a game. Um, also playing on the baseball team, we think. Um, Tried out and, for the Cardinals. That Somewhere right around in there. Yeah. And he hadn't even started playing tennis yet, so he went on to be one of the best tennis players in the area. So Doug was mentioned. His dad, Bill, was um, running for Red Hill School Board at the time. Um, he was a super fan of the Red Hill, of all sports, but the Red Hill, he had a daughter on the Red Hill girls basketball team. Even at one time, I think it was the year before, had to come out of the stands and coach the team because the coach had been ejected or been frustrated and left the bench for some reason. So he he took over <laughs> in a pinch. Um, uh, city Councilman. Brid Bridgeport City Councilman. So um, Patsy he, is one of the great cooks in history of Red Hill. So he's she's cooking at Red Hill, and then Deb was in high school at the time. As I as I mentioned, he had a daughter on the team. Those very first Red Hill basketball team. She was a part of getting that started. Evelyn's down in the elementary school. I'm sure dominating on the playgrounds at Seed School. So that the Hardacre family won that episode for me. Great family. Wow, that's a great that's a great pick, Mr. David King, who resides on one of the great farms in Lawrence County, just south of Bridgeport. Who won 75-76? I'm giving my uh, award to Gary Gognett. Oh, oh good Good Oh, great. Yes. Great uh, athletic season from him. Uh, Three great sports star. Yeah, great football, wrestling, and baseball. Um, great hair. And, and, um, and, also, and also bagged a deer during deer season. 61 yeah. pound, 61 pound dough, which we think he wrestled. <laughs> we think he might've just tackled <laughs> yeah. Sec sectional qualifier, not just a wrestler, a sectional yeah. qualifier in wrestling. So yeah, yeah. he gets my, award. and he's from Adam street. That's right. There you go. That's a good pick. That's a good, that'll be 11, a 1100 Adam street. I believe based on Facebook, that'll be a popular pick. There were several comments that we got on the, uh, on the deer season, um, in your mind, Mr. Ibbins, who won 75-76? Well, I, I've had a change of heart here. So I was thinking this oh. through. And I, you think about that, that, that football season that I did, and Gognet was just the, the stalwart on the defense and led a really, really good defense that year. The offense struggled. Um, but what you heard over and over was Baker to Barker. That was, seemed like that was about the only <laughs> offense. But I'm going with Brett McKim. The guy well, made a couple of Baker to Barker. Oh, I, I, I totally <laughs> thought it was Baker to Barker. It was going to be Baker to Barker, but Brett McKim comes in with a couple of uh, a couple of big PATs. I'm convinced that that was in the all in the game when he kicks the PAT to win the game. And uh, he screams hot dog right there at the crowd. So I'm going with Brett McKim. Good pick. If you had Brett McKim in this pool, you won that section of it. So I. 
I was that, that now, Brian. That opens up Baker to Barker for you. Well, I, he I don't know. Baker to Barker was awesome. I thought Gary was going to take that. I was sure he would because he talked about it so much. My first inclination, honestly, was going uh, to the admin building, and I had no idea that the admin building used to be in Sumner. Didn't know that, so I learned that on the episode. Several board meetings, we heard about construction, and then we had the whole. Uh, fiasco over the color of the shutters that there was a near riot over but i changed my mind last second this guy okay he he just gets his hat and his vest for the lions club he's a brand new member he walks right into his first meeting and then you read right down right next to where he just got his information and his his new member pack and he's already there wanting gospel sings at the jamboree he's bringing up ideas and that's mr jeff moore wow jeff moore jeff moore won the podcast <laughs> so there we go well hey let's take a quick break and uh we will get ready for what we hope is going to be a great great uh interview with red hill legend <laughs> Susan Wright. We'll be right back. Tyler Griffin's Pizza House in Bridgeport is the place to go for that world-famous Bridgeport-style pizza. The employee-picked specialty pizza for January, you ask? Well, you are in for a treat. Back by popular demand, the Buffalo Chicken Bacon Ranch Pizza. Old school's very own David King has had one of these and said that you cannot go wrong with Buffalo Chicken Bacon Ranch Pizza from the Pizza House. You know, they're open Tuesday through Sunday from 4 to 9. Delivery is available, so give them a call. Order your pizza tonight. 945-3663 for Pizza House Pizza. Well, on the show tonight, we are very, very happy to bring you one of the most prolific players in Red Hill basketball history. Now, listen to this. 1,461 points, 984 rebounds, 340 assists, 225 steals. A player that helped lay the groundwork for the great teams that followed her as she went on to play college basketball. Susan Wright, welcome to the Old School Red Hill Podcast. Thank you, and you have started it off very well with my nephew's song of Four Square Miles about my father, so now I'm already a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We can credit Chip Jamerson and, and Gary with that. They said we've got to start off with that song. Oh, that is so awesome. Thanks. So speaking of that, um, we always kind of like to start, where are you now? You're in Nashville, right? I am. I've been here uh, since college, so 1984. Uh, I wanted to be somewhere close enough where I could drive home on weekends, but mom and dad couldn't drop in for dinner. <laughs> and so that was Nashville. Great. Now, do you, do you see Adam a lot or do you talk? I, I we do. Uh, he's actually in Hendersonville. So it's about 30 miles from us. Okay. But, um, I try to hit one of his shows now with COVID, right. you know, life's changed a bit, but, um, I try to hit uh, a show at least once a month. Uh, he's, uh, down at the Commodore every Friday, uh, which is down by Vanderbilt. Okay. So I go down there. And um, whenever he was writing Four Square Miles, he shared it with me. And it was just one of those moments that I 
you know, you kind of take a deep breath and you think to yourself, whether it's a big hit or not, oh my God. Yeah. It just hits home and it, it just makes you proud. And, so, and Chip, you the, said the music video, the yeah. music video is really cool because I mean, he took so many great scenes from Lawrence County and, and then they say honoring, uh, honoring grandpa was uh, that's a really, really cool thing for him to do. You know, that last photo um, at the very end with he and my father in that chair. Mm-hmm. It's all I remember growing up. Oh, yeah. Two of them were like little two peas in a pod. And he always wanted to be next to grandpa all the time, whether it was in that chair or out farming. And so when that photo was in there, it just, you know, makes us all cry. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's awesome. So about who we all are, and that is a farming community, a community of people. Uh, which is a little bit of the the story that I'll tell too along the way today. Awesome. Well, just give him a free plug. If you haven't heard it, check out Adam Warner on, uh, it's called Four Square Miles, and you can find that on Apple and probably a million other places. But uh, check that song out. It's it's about uh, about our area and our little corner of the world. Um, so you're, you're in Nashville. What do you do now, Susan? So uh, after spending about 30 years in the IT world, I uh, flew over 4 million miles and traveled 23 different countries and have been to every state in the United States. Wow! I walked in my front door in January of 2015 and said, okay, I think 4 million miles is enough. And so I started going back into my goal book. I'm very big in setting goals and I was looking at that 1989 goal book and, you know, yeah. what have I accomplished? What haven't I? Where's the gaps? Well, you know, guess I'm not ever going to be that size six. So, <laughs> all right, let's scratch that one off. <laughs> not going to meet Oprah. Okay, let's scratch that one off. And as I looked down, there was that um, I always wanted to own a franchise. Okay. So, crazy okay. enough, um, I bought three franchises. They're called You Break, I Fix. We repair technology. So I've been in technology all my life, although more on the software side. Uh, so it just made a lot of sense for me to do that. I have three stores. I just hired my 18th person. Wow. And um, we also have remote repair vans. So who would have thought 12 months ago when we bought the vans, uh, how smart that was? Because when COVID hit, uh, the in-store services went down a bit, but the out services to people's homes skyrocketed. Wow. So, you know, one of those moments where you weren't so sure if you were making a smart business decision. And now I lean back and go, oh my God, how smart was that? <laughs> I'm so glad we did that. How smart am I? Now I know. Exactly. Yeah. We were all so bright back then. Yeah. But, um, so that's what, what I do. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. I I spent many years of my career in startups and um, especially during the dot-com era. So I feel like in a sense, I'm back in that little startup kind of feeling. So I, I really love that, you know, start each day with a clean slate of paper and work together as a team to, to really do whatever we can. And um, that I feel like I'm definitely back in that right now. Yeah. Well, we, we definitely are going to kind of start what, what you did in, in elementary school as you got got into becoming an athlete, but I, I think there's going to be a theme or, or something that happened um, not only in our area but in the United States prior to that, and I, I kind of want to cover that so if we bring it up, our listeners know exactly what we're talking about, and that's Title IX. And it passed yeah. in June of 1972, but took about what I saw five or six years before it was really implemented nationally. and. And I'm going to read very briefly the essence of what the law states. 
No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Very simple, very eloquent. You as an athlete, junior high, starting high school, around that time in Bridgeport and Sumner, were you consciousness conscious of Title IX and its consequences? I, I really wasn't. So, you know, what's kind of interesting is, you know, we're farmers. So I never, ever thought that my gender would not allow me to do anything. Right. It's not like my parents said, oh, Kevin, my brother, only you can go feed the hogs and only you can scoop on shit. <laughs> and oh, you girls, you go bake cookies and clean the house. Right. That's not how it was well, in our house. There was you know? enough work then, to do. We didn't need Title IX to get you. <laughs> exactly. So it was so funny when I, I never even thought about it, to be candid. Like, I can't play sports because I'm a girl. So it just never dawned on me. And then when Title IX came, and, and you know, I'm 10 years old, and you're now starting to understand what that's about. It was just one of those things that I kind of shook my head, and I thought, I would have never thought I couldn't do something because I'm a girl. Right. I have two parents who, you know, again, being a farmer, we had no boundaries of what we were going to do. Uh, you know, hard work was hard work and it was distributed amongst all of us, no matter what. But even with sports, I mean, my parents were always like, do whatever you want to do. Just be passionate about it and be your best at it. So whenever title nine came out, um, it really opened up the doors. And then, as you well know, in 1974, then it was really opening up the doors here in Lawrence County area where we could play sports. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, Chip, you you covered, we, we did in the last episode, we did the 75-76, and there was a lot that, that you covered in some of those school board meetings, Chip, with the, what was it, the Red Hill Rednecks? Yeah, there was a so when they first got it started, and and Phyllis Kimmel helped us out with a lot of this information too. That the Daily Record when was referring to those games those first couple of years would have been when you were like in junior high or fifth, fifth and sixth grade. But yeah, they didn't even call them the Red Hill Salukis because I guess it was a club team. And they referred to them as the Red Hill Rednecks. I yep. thought that was interesting. And they called them the Lawrenceville Redskins, I believe. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So we. And I believe your sister was one that went to the board. We were looking, Gary covered the board meetings and had the names. And I think your sister was one of them that went to the board to help get a girls basketball team started. Yeah. And I know Phyllis Kimmel was really instrumental in that. I think Connie Adams and a couple of others. And, you know, and that was really that first foundation because I think it was 74, 75 that we had our quote unquote lady Salukis first year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Brian, whenever you were talking about statistics, when I came on, what's interesting is we didn't play a whole lot of games. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you ever counted those up, but I think my, I think in 74 and 75, they may have played like four or five games. Yeah, it was just a very few. Yeah. Yeah. Not very many. When I got into high school, that was 75, 76, we played nine or 10 games. The next year we played nine or 10 games. I don't think it's my to my sophomore year until we played maybe 17 games. Okay. Yep. So, you know, we didn't play a lot of games. And then each year we always had to ask the board if we could, you know, have sports the next year. <laughs> but, but Brian, your point about, you know, did we ever really think about it? I think in my freshman year and sophomore year, we 
it was just, oh, this sounds fun. Let's go do this. Yeah. By the end of the sophomore year is when I hit the 52 points. And, and then we started having more people come to our game. And I think at that point we realized this might be a little bigger than what we think it is. It's just not about us getting together and playing sports. This could really be laying a foundation yeah. for that next generation because what we were seeing was the junior high girls were now starting to play basketball. Right. So my freshman year was the first time I ever played organized basketball. Wow. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. I mean, and, then, and then the next year, he scored 50, score 52 points in the game the next year. That's that's incredible. We, and so you know, I have to tell you guys, when you asked me to do this, I couldn't, you know, again, I turned 59 in a few weeks. So I'm like, whoo, can't really remember a lot. Thank God for my mother. <laughs> at all oh, yeah. oh, my gosh. She kept it. As she shows, <laughs> as she shows the stacks of paperwork that are. <laughs> she not only kept it, she like marked where we were shooting from, what our percentages were. She oh, was our, wow. Our little statistician, I guess. That's great. And so I got very tickled as I was going through this and I started thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, look what we accomplished. We, none of us played four years together. Yeah. So, right. you know, when I start thinking about the Cunningham sisters, you know, when Mandy came along, all those girls have been They've playing. They've been playing, together. right. Yeah. None of us played together. So it was every single year learning how to work together, learning how to trust, learning each other's roles, et cetera. And then um, our biggest challenge until our junior year, although our record was not that good, our biggest challenge wasn't our passion and love for the sport. I mean, we were short. We were like <laughs> five one, five right. two. I mean, you know, I'm the center because I'm the biggest. Yeah. But it's like we were short until my junior year. <laughs> so, so I started looking at all the little things we accomplished. I'm like, not bad for a little, you know, small little exactly five foot five, five foot four team. Well, and in. I, you know, obviously I had always heard of the, your 52 point game and, and, and speaking of, you've got your stack. If you ever, I don't know if you know this, the Lawrence County library has all the old daily records online on their website. Oh, wow. So you could go back and read the actual article. But one thing was funny. Like I said, I'd heard of your 52 point game. The picture obviously was there, you know, during that, for that story, you looked like a baby. I, and I've, I said, she was only a sophomore. I can't believe yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, and and Chip, you actually, you know, hit it a second ago. And that is, you think about, so my freshman year, Phyllis Kimmel, really good shooter, great ball handler. And then, but no one, I think maybe Jane Finley from that team was on my sophomore. So it was like a brand new group of people. And we all had to really learn our roles. And I think that's the biggest thing that I learned in all of this. It is learn your role, stay in your lane, do what you're supposed to do, and good things happen. Right. And a lot of these young ladies, you know, were really taking, uh, you know, pits and hits for me so I could get a shot. Because, again, when you're the tallest one, (laughs) you know, it it helps a lot. And you're going to pull down a lot of rebounds, too. So, you know, when you look at my rebounds, you're going to look, an awful lot of going back up. And, um, 
because again, the advantage of the height advantage at that point. So. I, I, I help coach my, my daughter's eighth grade team. And I, I tell them all the time, if you, if you don't have any other reason to go try to get offensive rebounds, it's because you're right back there for, for your, to get some easy points. Um, yeah. but let's go. It was funny what you said, because it kind of led me into my next question. You were, you're obviously athletic as a youth, you know, elementary school going into, what, what did you do to, to satisfy that competitive nature? That is such a great question. So I, I, you know, I, I think I may have gotten the competitiveness from my mom because she's very much, she's a fighter, you know, she's like, um, always pushing us to do our best all the time. And then when I was in grade school in junior high, I always played pickup games with the guys. Again, me not thinking, oh, you're not supposed to. Right, yeah. And um, when you guys had Coach Dixon on, I had to listen to that. Oh, good. Because he was one of, one of my favorite uh, teachers to begin with. Yeah. But uh, you look at uh, himself, Mr. Bowser, and uh, uh, Mr. C., Mr. C would play uh, basketball with us at lunch break. Yeah. And he was always a little bit harder on me. And I thought, what's up with this? You know, like he would charge me or set a block and, you know, you just have a, you know, chiropractic event. You hear a big bone popping in your head. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, dang, that was, that was a hard pick. One day, and I kid you not, he looked at me and he said, you have the most natural ability that I've ever seen. Your shot is beautiful. Your quick step. I'm here to make you better. And then it dawned on me. That's what he's doing to me. Yeah. And so playing with the guys, you know, at lunch, which they became my childhood friends, you know, Doug Jones, Doug Dunahee, Joe Kurtz, Cunningham, all those guys, Barry McAdow. They all playing sports with them and, you know, at lunchtime made me better. And, um, and I always had that competitive instinct in me as farmers and, and pig farmers. We showed them 4-H, you know, always yeah. wanted to win there. Right. It didn't matter. Fishing, frog gigging, running. It didn't matter. We, I always was a wee bit competitive on all that. So. You know, when, when I was looking up some, just some, facts on especially the title nine stuff i do want to tell anybody if if you're interested in how high school sports became prevalent with the ihsa especially google girls basketball in illinois dash illinois.gov it'll it'll come up um, but make sure you find the one the illinois.gov because it's got a whole list of pioneers for lack of a better word that uh, helped introduce sports in illinois and uh, there's there's a whole list of them, but you can listen to the uh, interviews, you can read the transcripts. So really good stuff. But one thing that I, I found be kind of became a theme, but that one person summed it up perfectly. It said, "My dad was willing to play around with me, throw the football or whatever, but never really train me." I don't think you had that experience. Like your dad needs you to go do some work, and so he he was probably very very happy to 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 nurture your competitive side. He, he was. And I'll, I'll tell you the other thing. Um, Dad wanted me to be um, a steward of the game, like really understand the strategy. Oh, good. And so we would watch like Georgetown and Villanova and Indiana and Kentucky basketball. 
And we would talk about the strategy they were doing and, and to really have basketball sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helped me more than talent because when you're coming down the floor, you're immediately assessing what's the defense against me and how can I find a hole in it? And you guys, you know, not to get ooey ooey and, you know, Dr. Phil on the couch here, but that's a life lesson. Yeah. I mean, you walk into a boardroom, you walk into a conference room, you're immediately looking around, trying to figure out, I'm assessing every individual immediately, figuring out who's on my side, who's not, who's against me, et cetera. And it's the same way in basketball is as soon as you're coming down that court, you're looking immediately, what am I going to do? Pass the ball, throw the ball, set a pick, what play are we going to play, et cetera. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I look at um, my dad's influence, it was really, I mean, yeah, he was out there here, shoot a few more. Yep. Boxing me out, but really understanding and having a basketball mind. And, and that was really a big one was being smarter than the other gal out there all the time. And, and I do think that might have been an advantage for me in several situations. You're, I can tell right now your next Zoom call is going to be with a certain eighth grade basketball team that I know very well. <laughs> Who served as your athletic role models as a youth? I mean, without a lot, well, though, like we grew up, like you said, Joe Kurtz and, and Terry, the, those teams were my team, you know, when I was in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. So yeah. um, you didn't have that. did? So I'm thinking, okay, where did she look for – was it mostly guys or did you look more to Olympic sports, tennis for, for female role models? Another fantastic question. <laughs> so, um, to, you know, it was really multiple things. Uh, Olympic athletes. I, in fact, I carried a medal around with me everywhere I went. I always wanted to be an Olympian yeah. or wanted here. Let me reframe that. My goal book said I wanted to go to the Olympics. I did wise not as a player right so i'm like you know you can check you might yeah. want to refine that goal a little <laughs> you, bit more, you right? can check that off though so that definitely was one you know watching just how higher elite athletes play and that mentality that they had to have um you know even when i look at bridgeport and the 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 athletes that we had like uh johnny irwin uh nancy irwin is to this day, my best friend, we've known each other since fourth grade, or excuse me, four years old. Yeah. Um, so, you know, 55 years, we've been uh, best friends. We would go watch her brother play. And so I would sit there and really watch how they were boxing out, ball handling, etc. And so as I got older, Jeff Todd, uh, Johnny Parrott, great ball handler. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to Terry McAdow. I'll, I'll never forget one day, you know, he was saying, Hey, next time that girl drives you on the baseline, here's what I, here's what you need to do. <laughs> I was like, Oh, really get her on your hip and then spin around her. I was like, yes, <laughs> so it was really kind of those combinations. And then, um, women's basketball, like old dominion. I mean, remember, you know, you had, what was it? Nancy Leibowitz mm -hmm. and, you know, that whole generation where you got to see them on uh, TV periodically mm -hmm. and you would obviously see them in Olympic sports. But I read a lot, um, spent a lot of time reading magazines, reading about the mindset of athletes, uh, the focus around it. And I think that's how, how and why I became so laser focused on goals and 
really honing skills because I saw that as an advantage and I watched others do it. There's one other athlete and I was talking to Nancy about it. I had to phone a friend to make sure, hey, you know, <laughs> am I really recalling things the way that I thought they were? Yeah. Uh, John Christie, he was older than me, but so here's a guy cross country. I swear to God, you'd see him everywhere. You know, Vincent, dude, there he is running. You know, <laughs> like, oh God, there he is again. You know, but he had that mindset of to be great, you've got to put the work in. And so I think all of those things, Brian, are really what helped fuel me with that competitiveness and really understanding what it took. Yeah. You know, and, and then I just had this goal that I want to go to college on a full ride scholarship. And I never, never wavered one moment with that goal. Wow. You know, that that answered a question that I had. But, uh, you know, I, I wondered how the male classmates that you had how supportive, not supportive were they? And sounds like they were very supportive. But did Terry McAdow ever suggest growing a full beard for high school <laughs> basketball? <laughs> you know, he and I had this running joke when we were younger. I swear to God, we'd been, you know, him six foot, me five eight since we were like fourth grade. Yeah. So, you know, if you ever look at pictures, it's like where the book is everywhere. And so we always had this running joke about always being the tallest people. And what was he like a freshman? He ended up having a full grown beard. Like, Very good. Guys. Yeah, I, I think I think his beard's been mentioned on about eight podcasts now. So that's becoming one of our main topics. Um, but you know, Brian, to your point, um, you know, what's what's interesting is um in so 72, uh, you know, Title Nine in 74, um, a, a baseball coach. Uh, asked my dad if I would try out for baseball. Again, going back to my big, tall thing here. Yeah. And so dad said, hey, you know, Sue, if you want to go try out, go try out. So I tried out, and Illinois at that time had approved girls playing baseball. And so I got picked up on a team, which, thank you, mother. I still have the baseball cap. I should have brought it in here with me. <laughs> And I got picked up on a team. Now, what's interesting is, you know, at that age, um, that was really, I mean, think about that, 1974 and being on a boys baseball team. And so we got called Sissy, the Sissy team. And it was all fun and games until I became the pitcher and started striking boys out. Yeah. And so, you know, back then we didn't call it pre-season. We just called it practice before our season began. And um, I struck out a few too many and then hit a home run. And that's my dad calls it, damn, you didn't hit a home run. You almost hit the snack bar building. <laughs> and that upset a few people. And so then they went and called the state of Illinois to see if the county had approved uh, girls playing baseball and they had not. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, here I'm going to put a, a benchmark moment in my life again. You know, I, I've had so many of these great learning experiences that helped me through life. You know, my coach came to the house and uh, Bob Campbell, never forget him. You could tell he was visibly a combination between pissed and, and, and sad. Right. Yeah. But here's the beautiful part to it. He explained everything and said, I've gone to the team. 
And the boys are willing to lose every game if you want to play. Wow. Now let's think about that. You know, you're 12 years old. You, you're now being told you can't play. And it's not because of the boys. Right. It's because of a parent. Right. And then you've got a group of boys who we were called, you know, you've got a sissy team because you've got a girl on your team until I start striking them out. And now they want me off the team. And they were willing to forego and lose every game if I wanted to play. Wow, what a story. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so that's one of those things that just stuck with me. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't. So I said, you know, I want you guys to play. Um, but I really, I can't tell you how much that means to me that you would be willing to lose so I could play. Since we had you first on this podcast, can we own the movie rights for this story (laughs) chip you want to kind of take us uh we're we're ready to go to high school with uh susan wright what do you got on that yeah i just got a few we'll throw out a few topics and just see where they go so you you've touched on things a little bit here so your freshman year was it was still a fairly new program at that time and like there wasn't a lot of coverage in the daily records there and like you said you didn't play a lot of games that year either but it seemed like you started that freshman you pretty much scored in double figures the games i saw uh, phyllis was usually you you were usually the top two scorers um on those on those teams but then your sophomore years where it really kind of took off that's when you had the 52 point game that you talked about so let, let's just kind of start with that that, that Talk about that night and being in the zone. And if you want to go back and discuss that game at all. Um, I do, because there's a few people I, I want to mention, because um, I remember them so well. And so, so we were a group of girls that were just very bonded. Like, we didn't hang out together our freshman year or know each other. But when we came together as a team, we were incredibly bonded. Mm-hmm. Rhonda Fornshell, Dana Cessna, Kara Harvey. Let me tell you, you get a pick set by Kara Harvey, you're going to feel it. <laughs> so, you know, these were young ladies, Lori Doss. Um, these were tough girls. And I think more than anything, we hated losing. You know, everybody always says, I love to win. We did not like to lose. So I think that was our motivator. And, and in that evening, like when we were playing – definitely feeling the groove. I mean, I think you guys know it. Whenever you got that shot and it's just like nothing but net, every time it's coming off your hands, you're really feeling it. And, um, you know, Rhonda and Dana kept saying, I'm just going to keep feeding you the ball. Now, please remember, we only made two points back in those old days. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. free throw line extension was kind of my zone. And then I had this one shot that I love to do right in the corner of, you know, and kind of pop it up over uh, the backboard and go in and do the same thing. <laughs> and so Kara would often set a great pick for me down on baseline. I'd get the ball, turn around and shoot. And, and I think it was, and we were playing Flora. And so we just kept feeling this momentum all the time. And going into the fourth quarter, whenever, I don't know, it was 38 points or something like that, you're like, oh, okay, this could this could be a record game. And I don't think we really thought about it until like right in the fourth quarter, a few more minutes into it. And then you realize you're in your, we're in the 40s at this point for me. And um, if you look at the statistics, 
I think I had 26 rebounds. So you think about take that rebound, put it back up, you know, 10 steals, then you're really being able to maximize opportunity and getting back up and, you know, get that layup very quickly after you pulled out a, a rebound. But every single one of those gals, they were doing everything they could to help get me open, which was always a big one. You know, everybody was always tight on me all the time. And, and I can't, you know, again, you look at somebody like Kara or, or Rhonda Fornshell, you know, I think Rhonda was a whole five, five, and that might have been stretching an inch or two. <laughs> but if she's going to set a pick on you, get ready. Yeah. It's hurt too. And so that's what I remember. And, and whenever they would look at me and go, I got your back, they meant it. And so that whole evening, getting me free on the baseline, getting me free on three on that uh, free throw line extension, and then just rushing in to get the rebound in the event somebody else put it up, that that was the whole key to the game. Yeah. Well, and, and looking at the stat line from that night, I thought it was interesting, too. It wasn't like every every time they weren't just looking for you to score. Jane Finley had 17 that night. Which is yeah. a pretty good game, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were all in the zone that night. And, you know, I have to say that I felt like that was such a pivotal moment for our basketball team because we were no longer, oh, look at the girls. They can play sports. It was really putting us on the map of competitive, I mean, good shooters, great fundamentals, and uh, just a good team of people who worked hard together. You know, again, the group I mentioned, Pam Hayes, I mean, there were just so many gals that they did what they were supposed to do and they took their job serious. And that was kind of the fun part of it. We all won together and, and we all lost together. But yeah. it was it was definitely a, a great night. Well, and another thing <laughs> from that that same article, and, and I will tell you this, I, I talked about my daughter's eighth grade team, I, I blew up this little section because the quote that I loved was right above the points and all that. And I asked them, I said, what was better, this stat line or this quote? Because it showed your 18 field goals, uh, 16 free throws, 52 points. But right above that, a quote from you, it says, I love sports, period. I hope everybody will accept the fact that girls athletics is here to stay and will grow. And at first, they were like, what do you mean here to stay? <laughs> you know, they're, they're 13. They've always had camps and this and that. And we kind of just talked about, like, this was brand new. And, and, and they couldn't believe that. Yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. Um, you know, kind of going back to did my friends around me support me? Yes. But I did catch a lot of backlash, you know. It's like, you know, why are you trying to act like a boy? And my sister said one day, well, was that the 37 points she scored or the 25 points she scored where she was acting like a boy? I mean, it it was that kind of just, you know, ignorance and mentality at that time. But, But now it's, you know, been such wonderful to watch the transition of how it is. There's nothing more than I love is to watch dads talk about their daughters. Yeah. And I also think that it was a moment where the where fathers realized, oh my God, I've got four girls. I can go to ball games. Yeah. <laughs> I can watch them play. I mean, look at the Cunningham sisters. Yeah. It's like I don't think a lot of people realize the Cunninghams and the Wrights were actually very good friends. 
And we all grew up together um, in, in our church community as well as our family. I can't tell you how many times I'd walk into my dad's office and there's feet. Yeah. You know, either they've been hunting or he was just there talking. And that's and that's whose record you broke. So that's <laughs> the best part from all of it is that it's Steve's record I broke. So I do have to tell you the story. So whenever I broke his record, he sent me roses. And, you know, congratulations. Well, then when Mandy broke oh. my record, <laughs> I sent her roses and said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And, you know, there's nothing better than for a Cunningham to take it back away from me. And so that's but, awesome. But that was like, you know, and to watch Mandy and Mary Martha and Melinda like who got to take the advantage of title nine and starting grade school. By the time they got to high school, those young ladies have been playing together for four years and right. five years. And so you guys, you know, you look at a 10 year period of time, look at the accomplishments in girls basketball in Red Hill high school. I mean, I just, I'm so proud of what everybody's part has been, yeah. including the coaches who were teachers coaches <laughs> and they did everything they could to be the best that they could be to help us right so yeah. as you can tell i have very fond and passionate memories of all of it because of the sacrifices everybody made for girls basketball and then eventually track and field and, and softball too yeah that's awesome <laughs> and if you uh, if you haven't listened to it go back in the archives you can find the mandy cunningham episode uh, she shares a lot of the same insights that that susan is tonight um before we get back and Chip's going to go over your high school career, I do want to mention something that I found I thought was very cool. So it would have been after your freshman year, 48 girls got invited to attend the second-ever VU basketball camp, and a long list of, of players, some some actually that I know today, which is funny when you, when you see that, But um, and, and Sandy Martin. Um, yep. was there but can you talk about that experience of being called because there was people from uh, Owensboro Beaver Dam Kentucky South Knox Olney lots of different places and it was in it was an invitation only camp someone's been doing their homework <laughs> wow um it was so that was you know my freshman year and it was such an honor because you're now there with players who are also standouts in their sport. And uh, and of course, Andy Myers was the coach at the time and she invited us and then eventually ended up going to a lot of summer camps there. But there were a couple of things that were really grilled into our head about playing against each other. You learned how to play so much better defense, how to be a quicker shooter, um, you know, how to, how to play off the a pick better but it was really the beginning of the mentalness of uh, women's basketball and to take the noise that you're going to hear and, and how to drown that noise out because there's always going to be naysayers and guys that's in everything in life. Doesn't matter if it's work, personal life, sports, but that was really like one of the first times I started learning about how to take the noise and block it out. And to really only hear that voice down in your heart and what's the right thing to do. And, um, and so those were some of the things, you know, sure taught you fundamentals, but really talked about women's sports is here. We're going to fight for it. 
we're going to get better at it. But along the way, you're going to take a lot of criticism. And so be ready for it, but don't let their issues really impede you along the way because that's their stuff. You know, let it fuel the fire for you to be better. And that's one of the things I really remember about from that camp. Andy Myers was a great coach, just a good person, too. Well, with, with some of the teams that's coming up, I, I thought it was funny. The night you scored 52 in that same paper, um, the Red Hill Junior High girls were in the finals of uh, must have been their regional. And I noticed Jody Moan had 17 points. And and uh, who else? Uh, Teresa Holmes. Julie Ulrich had 12. So so there's big things coming, Chip. Well, that was, that's perfect, Brian. And we didn't even plan that. That was what I was going to go into next. We've talked about some of our the teammates from the freshman and sophomore year. Your junior year, that's when the Jody Moan class comes in. She's two yeah. years behind you, and we know they had a lot of success, and we'd love to have Jody on the show at some point also. But kind of talk about these this um, new group that's coming in and some of the success you guys had over that junior and senior year. Yeah, so now, I mean, you guys hit it. Here is a new group of young ladies that have been playing ball together for a while. So they knew each other's rhythm. They knew how each other played. They, you know, knew how to play together as a team. So, and we also had height. I got very excited. I was like, oh my gosh, someone taller than me. So, you know, then you had like Julie Ulrich come in. Um, she was a little bit taller than me. Jody was about my height. Teresa Holmes. And then um, Kathy Lytle, she came in in that junior year. And, and the... The one thing that you think about is you don't have to work with them on fundamentals. They had the fundamentals down. Now it was all about team play and learning what everybody's strength was, leveraging those strengths and figuring out how we could be better as a team. Jody was also a really good shot, very good ball handler. And now you're also looking at another group of gals that understood basketball. Mm -hmm. So although that was only like 78, 79, you know, four years into it, so to speak, um, you're now starting to work with young ladies who understand the strategy and how to play basketball in the sense around it. So that became a lot of fun. Julie Allred down at the bottom, she and um, Teresa Holmes down at the bottom. Again, those two young ladies set the pick, you're not going to get through it. <laughs> You know, and whenever, again, same thing, I got your back, you know, they got your back. And then if I was covered, then you could pop it out to Jody, or you could pop it out to, you know, Dana or to Rhonda or to any of those. And you knew that they were going to execute meaning drive down or pass off and we were going to get something out of it. So now we are really starting to gel like a team, like, you know, not just got four girls or five girls who knew how to play, but now we're like seven deep and eight deep and nine deep, which was really great whenever you got to foul trouble. Sure. And that's at that, we wouldn't have known at that time, but there wouldn't have been many teams around that had two eventual D1 players um, in their starting five. So that's pretty, because Jody went on to play at VU and the Indiana State, and then you, you went to SIU, which we'll get into in a little bit, but that's pretty impressive. Four years into the program, four or five years in the program, we got two D1 players on the roster. So, um, and in that junior year, you said you started playing a few more games. You went 10 and seven that year. And it looked like back then, I know we've mentioned on some of the other pods that you had to play like a district tournament before you even got to the regional tournament. I'm not sure exactly how the setup yeah. was, but you did make it to the district title game that year. And 
lost to Carmibe, and you were a unanimous all NEC first team. And that was so. I guess your first three years, you put, was Mrs. Thorne the coach, Twyla Thorne, your first three years then? She was. That's correct. Because uh, Coach Tugall and then uh, Owen Fuller, who helped out too, they didn't come till my senior year. So, and, and you know, again, uh, you know, even with Twyla, it's like, you know, you think about all this, guys. It's like, oh, hey, you're the PE teacher. So, oh, you can be coached too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She was so supportive of, you know, I'm determined to help get this program off the ground. You know, she did everything she could to help get the program off the ground. And then it was my senior year that uh, Paul Tugall uh, wanted to become coach or stepped in as coach, should I say. And then that really started helping out because, you know, he was really trying to study the game and understand the game. And, um, you know, anytime you get somebody who's a statistician and math and physics, you know, they're really going to slice and dice it. And um, that that really helped out a lot. That took our game yet to another level. So, you know, Twyla got us to one point. And then, you know, here come Coach Tugall, and he helped us that senior year. We've talked about uh, Coach Tugall quite a bit on the podcast because he 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 was such a – an innovator at the school. I mean, he started the computer program. He had a hand in many different sports. It was just uh, a, a wide array of talents that that he showed. Do you know, was Twyla, was she, did she take the job sort of on an interim basis to get it going? Was it, you, Do you think that was planned, or had she just thought it was time to move on? Do you know why that coaching switch happened? You know, I really don't. Um I, you know, I just was thankful that she stepped up and said, I'll take it because that allowed us to get from freshman to sophomore to junior. And then, you know, whether it was, I don't know if I can take these girls to the next step because, you know, again, you know, I just have to really admire these coaches that were teachers. This is not what they went to school for. (laughs) And then especially with girls sports, it's like, oh my gosh, no, with boys, you've been learning since the fifth grade. With us, we just started learning. So yeah. it's like, how do you kind of wrap your arms around that? Right. And so, I, you know, whether that was where she got to a point where she was thinking, this is as far as I can take them, I need to hand it off to somebody. Or, you know, Paul came in and said, hey, I'd love to take on the team. I'm not really sure how that worked. But um, Coach Tugal came in and, and that was just a great move for us too because he did help us get to that next level. He had some great quotes in the paper too. And, and one thing I've always noticed any of these, when I've been researching these teams is what a good relationship builder he was. He had a great relate. And I know I was in his computer class in high school. So uh, just a great um, communicator uh, builds relationships with, I mean, the girls all seem just to love playing for him and playing hard for him is what is what I noticed throughout those articles. Yeah. um, And he was calm. So, and it was great because, you know, when I go back to those days, in the very beginning, it was our parents who were in the stands and Red and Reba Cunningham with Lance. I mean, you always saw them at every single game. If they weren't at a game, it's because, you know, 90 mile winds with snow and ice, and that would be the only reason. And then as we we became better and then when Jody and Julie Ulrich and that group came in, our fan base started growing a little bit more, got a little bit more verbal. 
<laughs> yelling out the umps, or excuse me, the refs a little bit more out right. there. And, you know, Paul was always like so zen, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, calm, yeah. calm. And you'd look up and see, you know, parents up there screaming and yelling and he'd be like, calm down. <laughs> and he really was. I mean, and I think, Brian, your word about innovator. I mean, he really did try to think through, you know, like, okay, like statistically, what's the best thing we can do right now, you know? And, um, and I, and at the time you don't think about it. And then when you reflect back, you realize, oh my gosh, he really was innovative and thinking, look at all the different kind of plays that we were running to get each other free. So, um, you know, had a lot of respect for him. Yeah. And then he, went, and then he went on to some pretty, some pretty grand things, um, after he left Red Hill. So, Pretty cool, Chip. Yeah, college professor at EIU and at Valparaiso and the superintendent of Red Hill Schools. So he he did a lot in his career. Um, so, and one thing I noticed, you mentioned earlier, and I've mentioned it, that we didn't play a lot of games in those early years. And our season didn't even start until, you didn't play any games until January, your freshman through junior year. But your senior year, you started in December, which is pretty, a couple weeks after when they start today, but you started the season a little bit earlier you ended up getting 28 games in that senior year. Oh, wow. And I don't know if Mr. Tugall like pushed for more games or if it's just the programs, but I don't know what caused that. But now you play like a regular, an actual regular season that we're accustomed to today. And your senior year was a big season, both for you uh, individually, um, monster statistics that year. And for the team, it was an, it was an amazing season too. So I've seen anywhere it was in different articles, anywhere from 27 to 29 points per game. We'll say 29 points per game, your senior year and average 18 rebounds per game. Yeah. Um, and that season we were the regional champs. So oh, five, six years into the program. Now we've got a regional title over and looking through these years that it kind of went back and forth. We'd beat Lawrenceville, they beat us, kind of go, you know, split the season. So we've got them in the regional title game. Uh, you want to talk about that regional championship a little bit over Lawrenceville? That, um, so, you know, when I reflect back, um, each team, you had teams of people who were really good. So you look at Lawrenceville, and in the early days, um, it was the Hill Sisters, Laura Whitmer, Marianne Gosnell, and then by the time we all became seniors, they had been playing together four years. So Marianne, the, the, the uh, Hill sisters, et cetera. So they were all playing arch rivals. Okay. I don't care what sport it is. We're all going to be arch rivals against each other when it comes to Lawrenceville. You know, same thing with Salem. They had Marla Sapp and a team of gals that, you know, they all got to play four years together. So this was my senior year four years really strong into the program. You know, the Jody Moan team with Julie Allrip, two years, we were really working very, very well together as a team. And so now we're winning tournaments, we're playing more games, and now we go up against Lawrenceville for the tournament. And I'll never forget because, you know, Marianne Gosnell was like their tall girl, and we're always trying to figure out Underneath, and I'm sure it's this way with guys, you know, you're really boxing out and you might be throwing an elbow or two here and there, you know, and you're really kind of positioning yourself, as we used to say. And it got a little rough down there. And there might have been more than a few elbows flying. But that was 
probably one of the most intense and passionate games. And it went down to the wire, as you probably know, mm-hmm. and uh, ended up beating them. But great competition with them every single time we played them, you know. But then, you know, you walk out and you're, you try to be cordial and friends with each other, which I was with many of them. But it was a very intense, moving the ball a lot, a lot of hard fouls. You know, not a lot of, oh, gee, foul right there. You were knocked down and you were laying there like, it was my right rib hanging out right now. <laughs> pretty rough. Yeah. So um, that was just such, like when we won that, I cannot tell you how proud we were of everybody on our team from not just the starters, but, you know, there are people who sat on the bench that made us better. They may not have known that, but, you know, they maybe not played a lot, the James Willings or the Deb Steers or, or, you know, some of those gals that didn't play as much, but they were just as much a part of that win. And when I look at that photo, everybody's grinning and that, you know, that to me is magic and heaven all in one. So that was quite a, as we would call it a barn burner. Yeah. I do remember it. And um, very verbal parents, too, should I say. (laughs) With mine right up there along with my sister. (laughs) You know, maybe saying some uh, cuss words here and there. (laughs) I remember thinking, I was, oh, say, I would have been in fifth grade then. And I remember thinking, like, wow, like Red Hill won a regional. I mean, that was just incredible to to think about. Um, Who was. Speaking of your high school, who was your who's the best player you played with? You know, um, I really think uh, well, Jody was a really great ball handler and a really good shooter. Mm-hmm. And but but when I sat back and I look at everybody had like their own thing that they did really well. Like you know, Dana Cessna and um, Rhonda Fornshell were really good ball handlers. And Kara Harvey, I'd go to battle with that gal. Yeah. She is, she was just heartless on that baseline and setting picks and going up a rebound and boxing out. But whenever you want to look at somebody with, you know, total stats on assists, uh, rebounds and, um, you know, points, that would definitely have to be Jody. Yeah. And um, so but when you look at the combination of all of us together and the word team, you know, Julie, Teresa, Janice Bushy, um, you know, Julie Smith came in in my uh, senior year, you know, all five, three of her, again, maybe another inch of a stretch. Uh, she was hell on wheels going up and down that fast. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, I think, we always looked at each other collectively, although maybe I was the big standout uh, from my freshman to my junior year. And then Jody and the team came along and it was more complimentary, but it was every single one on that bench and on that court that made us collectively better. Yeah. So. Do, you, do you keep in touch with Jody at all? Um, I don't. Okay. Um, I do keep in touch with several others. So it's really funny. Um, you know, several of my um, um, competitors, only girls. Um, I still stay in touch with some of the gals at Only. Um, some of the uh, Lawrenceville, Laura Whitmer. I still stay in touch with her. You know, Facebook. See her when I'm home. 
Um, I still stay in touch with some of my good friends from growing up, yeah. which, you know, I love, as I said before, Nancy Irwin, best friend since age four. Um, and, and so that was always kind of um, my support system growing up is that whole community too. And so um, still stay good friends. I, I will say one thing when my mother passed away, as well as my father, um, Amy Huff, now Baker, Julie uh, Walter Decker, Mike Smith, all came to my parents' visitation. And it just felt like I was back in high school again. Yeah. Because it just was, it just felt like we'd never had a lot of time apart from each other because we grew up together and had such a bond together. And, you know, even on Facebook, I'll hear from some of my other friends, Kent Cunningham, Doug Dunahy, et cetera. And, and, it, and um, you know, Ted Buchanan wrote me this amazing letter when my mother passed. And you, you just sat back and you're like, that's why I love being from a small town. Yep. And that's why we were successful sure. is that we had that with each other, too. Yeah. Was Sandy Martin the best player you ever played against in high school? Am I guessing um, correctly she or was no? Definitely a tough player. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I got to play with her at SIU. Yeah. Um, the thing about Sandy is she was a hell of a shot. I mean, just like can shoot from anywhere on the on the court. Um, but when I look at some of the other players, um, Marla Sapp was a tough, and she was a tall girl, you know, five eleven, six foot. Um, over in Olney, uh, there was a, a couple of gals over there that were just Carrie Selby, man, shoot the eyes of a basket. So, um, so I'm, I know Sandy scored a lot of points. She was really a great player. I don't know if she was my toughest player I played against, but, um, you know, when you go up against T-Town, that's a whole nother world that you're kind of playing against when you go to Teotopolis. Yeah. And there were a couple of pretty tough gals there I played against. I bet. And, and that's kind of where I was going next. So we're going into the sectionals. And if, um, um, as Susan already said, as, as we've heard many with, uh, the Mandy Cunningham years, we get to the sectional and there's T-Town waiting for us. And it was the same thing in 1980. Yeah. Um, Some things so, never change. Yeah. So, um, any, any memories of that, that sectional game looks like we lost 61 to 53. So it was a good game. And you, who'd you say there, I can't, I didn't write the name down, but their top player on that team. Uh, Ron, on T-Town, I'd have to, I'll yeah, have to I my mom's roster yeah. here. Cause I know they said she had, a, I think she was a six footer. They said she had a six foot eight brother on the boys team oh, yeah. or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I, my dad and I used to talk about it. I'm like, are they corn fed? I mean, what is going on? It's like six foot, five eleven, six one. Oh, there's a five seven girl. I mean, they were all tall girls. And so the running joke was, oh, we won. Our reward is we get to play T Town. Now, here's the crazy part to the statistics that um, that that don't display. We were in a very good position to win in the fourth quarter. Very good position. Um, it was really nippity-tock, nippity-tock, nippity-tock. We were up by two. They were up by one. We were up by three. They were up by one. I mean, it was a competitive game. I had four fouls on me, maybe five minutes left in the game. You know, again, I'm old, 59. Can't remember everything. I'm dribbling the ball down. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground and I get called with a charge. And I'm thinking, 
okay, I'm trying to make sure my right rib isn't hanging out because I just got hit by two T-Town girls. Yeah. And the next thing I see is, you know, boom, on the back of the head pointing at me and a charge. Well, you can imagine the crowd is just screaming and yelling. I look over, my sister Karen is climbing <laughs> over the railing, yelling possibly a few words I yeah. can't say on the podcast. Oh, feel free. Let him fly. <laughs> and my dad is like reaching for her. And she like jumps down on a platform and she is coming at him. Oh, but oh, no. Two ball, like looking like, mm, Karen, mm-mm, you're going to get thrown out <laughs> of here. Cody moans, dad screaming and yelling. Papers are flying in the air. That I do remember very well. Wow. And so obviously with me out, then they really doubled up on Jody. They got down on baseline and then it became a game of us trying to foul to catch up, to try to foul. So when you look at that 53 to 61, it was a lot closer coming down to the wire. And that changed everything at that moment. Um, but it was the first time where, I mean, we were all, when we, uh, Paul called a timeout. Oh, it was a few minutes into the fourth period. And I remember all of us looking at each other like, we got this. I mean, we're going to beat these guys. So we were getting so excited. And then <clears throat> I got that charge. And I just remember from that moment on, it was uh, a little downhill. But yeah, the, I'll tell you, Julie, Teresa, all the girls, you know, Jody, they fought to the bitter end. And I, you know, you're, like I said, you're playing foul to play catch up. And that score did not reflect what yeah. that game was because it, it did. was really a hell of a game. Did T-Town, did they end up winning state that year? Um, I'm trying to remember. I blocked it out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good chance. Oh, yeah. Get it out of my head. Um, but, you know, they were so good. I mean, yeah. I know, you know, even Melinda and Mandy during their years and Mary Martha, <laughs> that was always your reward to get to yeah. go play T-Town. Yeah. So, so that wraps up uh, a stellar career and just some honors after that season. Um, once again, um, unanimous all NEC first team, um, team MVP for the third year in a row, uh, American high school athlete, all American, Chicago Tribune, all state basketball team, uh, Decatur Herald and Review, all area team. So several accolades. And then soon after that season ended, you have, uh, Mr. Tugall said that you were being pursued by around 35 colleges including some Big Ten schools, and you have made your college decision, and you're going to SIU Carbondale for your um, collegiate career. So, and I know Brian had a little bit on college, but um, it, why don't we go through the recruiting process? What yeah. was recruiting like back then? Um, so they, uh, so there's a couple of things. There were these um, uh, devices called VHS. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you would get recorded, and then you know, they'd send a tape and, and then you would either have a coach call you or send you a letter. The interesting thing is um, I had in, you know, very proud of the fact that I got recruited by a lot of schools, but I'm going back to like this mindset that you have and the goals that I had. And my goal was a full ride scholarship and I was not going to settle for anything less. And SIU had originally offered um, 
I think it was books, tuition, and $500 per semester or something. And I declined it, said, uh -uh, I want a full ride scholarship. That's my goal. And again, some other schools, Indiana, Kentucky, uh, Indiana State, et cetera, were all recruiting. So they came back within 48 hours of a full ride scholarship. Oh, wow. wow. And so, you know, for me, that was, uh, I don't know if I can say ballsy on a podcast, but it was a little ballsy. You know, you're like, little farm kid from Southern Illinois. <laughs> you know, by golly, I'm going to, you know, meet my goals. I was so focused on, I wanted a full ride scholarship that I was not going to settle for less. And so, you know, just fortunately, SIU wanted me as much as I wanted to go there. So they came back with a full ride. Yeah. So thrilled with that. And um, my freshman class, and I do got to put a plug on this one, um, uh, Connie Price, five-time Olympian in track and field. Okay. Star Warren, she was an All-American, uh, Dee Dee Plop, she was an All-American, and myself, we were the first group of recruits that all had full-ride scholarships. Oh, wow. So, and if you go to SIU, into the arena, there's a band of memories, and there's the four of us with our coaches, um, and, and that's really what it was about, the uh, first group of freshmen. Now, my hair color may be different and <laughs> picture you may not recognize me, but there, I, you know, I saw I, I found an article I was looking at and uh, your coach was Cindy Scott. And I think at the time she had said this was the best recruiting class we've ever had. So she had had that quote in uh, one of those, I think this, the, the Southern Illinoisan newspaper, she she had mentioned that. And I was looking back at some of like the top scores and you know, several of the girls you played with are in that top like I think it was number four, five, and six on their yeah. all-time list. You played with all of those girls there at that time. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, here comes your learning experience. So you go from high school and you're really kind of that um, person that the team is built around. Now you go into college, Sue Faber, All-American, um, I can't even count how many All-Americans, Hall of Sue Favor, Hall of, uh, ended up being a Hall of Famer. And so now all of a sudden, I'm the girl who's new and on the bench, mm -hmm. and I've got to mm -hmm. learn my role. Right. So that was such a great lesson. It's like, you know, now when I come off that bench, I got to know my role, execute against my role the best I can. And you look at that group of uh, young ladies, Peter Jackson, Still a good friend of mine. Stay in touch with her. All-American Hall of Fame. Connie, Hall of Fame. Sue, Hall of Fame. Wow. I mean, their talent was just amazing. And it was just unbelievable to work with them and, and be a part of their team. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it looked like the team got – Got stronger, 14 and 18, 17, 12, yeah. 22, 11. So, so some some real progress that was was being made there. It looked like looked like good things. Can you just you know how, how was your your total time at at uh, SIU uh, playing? Did did you get a lot of minutes? Um, didn't get. I looked at the SIU media guide. I could only only ascertain so much out of there. Yeah. So it's interesting because my role switched. From, you know, handling the ball a lot, um, you know, being kind of that number two and, and number three at SIU. I, I wasn't a point guard because they had too many just really fast, great ball handlers. Right. I became that two and that three. And 
really my, my real passion was playing defense. I love defense. I was known for being scrappy. I was known for being fast. I'm the one who's going to dive for the ball every single time. And that's really what my role turned into is more of that, you know, being that tight defensive player. Yeah, I shot here and there, but good God, when you've got Hall of Famers and All-Americans like what we did, you know, it, my shot wasn't really needed as much right. unless it was a rebound. But what was really needed was making sure you're helping get those other people free. So my my world kind of changed. And uh, that was such a great lesson, you know, for me as an athlete. Uh, when you're an athlete, you got to take on whatever role it is your coach tells you to do. And the question is, do you have the discipline to do it? Yeah. And, and fortunately, I did. Um, but, um, you know, it went from being this high scoring person to more about point production, running plays and being uh, really tied on defense and taking on your opponent's best player because I ended up being their defensive player most of the time. Yeah, I, I have one more thing. I think it's always interesting, too. And, um, you know, you had, like I said, Mrs. Thorne and then uh, uh, Dr. Tugal, but then you go to a division. When you go to a division one where it's, it's different. And I, I don't, I played just junior college baseball, but I just, at the time it's like, it almost became like a part-time job or like a job. Everything was very regimented. So, I mean, what were the biggest differences you saw at SIU compared to high school ball? Um, terrific question, because uh, that's actually what led me into handing back my scholarship my junior year. What people don't realize is when you're an athlete, it is a job. I mean, I, I would spend two hours just in um, getting my ankles worked on, getting my knees worked on, getting stretched, strength training. And then, oh, by the way, you get to practice after that. And then that's three hours. And um, if you had an injury, then after practice, you had to work on the injury. So sometimes you would have anywhere between four to seven hours with your sport every day in some capacity. Yeah. When I went into to SIU at first, you know, didn't know what I wanted to do, fell in love with technology, um, uh, went into back then we didn't have IT degrees like we do today. So I had to go into school of technical careers, make my own degree up in data processing and then in, into uh, information technology. I spent a lot of time in the lab writing code because that's what my degree was going to be. And so when you're an athlete, you're spending, you know, four to six hours every single day being disciplined in your sport. And at one point, you have to make a decision, either I'm going to go to school for five and a half or six years, or I'm going to give up something that I love more than anything in order to move to that next level of my life called a career. Yeah. And so your point is so well taken because I passionately loved what I, you know, playing basketball and playing sports. Um, but I also had another goal and that was to graduate in four years in college. Um, none of my siblings did. Ha ha ha. Got you guys on, on one. I was like, ah. And um, And it was just a goal I set like my freshman year, I want to graduate in four years. And so as basketball became, and it is so much more intense. So, you know, you playing in junior college, you know, that level of intensity gets up. By the time you're in a D1, it is very intense because your coach is not a, 
a professor, they are a coach. Right, right. <laughs> that is their job. Right. And if they don't do their job, then they are gone. Right. And so, you know, there's just this whole different level of intensity at that. And so as I continued through my junior year, um, I came home one time and I just started thinking about, do I really want to go to college six years? And that wasn't it. And so I had to make a really tough decision on, you know, I hit my goal of getting a full ride scholarship, but in order for me to hit my second goal of graduating in four years, I'm going to have to give that up. So that was probably one of the you know, toughest things at age, whatever, 18, 19 that you do. And um, what I did first was called my parents and talked to my parents about it and then went out and um, um, got a job because you can't work when you're an athlete. And then I told my coach and, and I will tell you when I talked to my coach, Cindy Scott and uh, Charlotte West, who was our athletic director. And if you want to read about a pioneer, Google Charlotte, Dr. Charlotte West, amazing pioneer for women. And um, to this day, I've stayed in contact with both of them. I mean, by no means did we end on negative okay. notes whatsoever, although I'm sure Cindy was like, damn, that was, you know, one of my recruits that just stayed in a scholarship. But um, they understood that the vision of wanting to get into a career and graduate in four years was overwhelming more than, you know, going to college six years and playing basketball. Well, you know, before we do these podcasts, especially the interview ones, I get, I get very nervous and thinking, you know, are we going to ask good questions and have good conversation? We've been talking now for an hour or one hour and 11 minutes. And it seems like 10, that was just fantastic discussing this with you and you made it very very easy with really really cool and good stories you know what i do have to thank you guys for asking me to do this because um it allowed me to go back on some timelines you know it's really like i was thinking about okay was title 9 72 73 yep that's right so i started going through timelines and then you start kind of matching up what your program did and when i looked at like this six eight and 10 years for girls basketball at Red Hill. I mean, I just sat there in awe and I thought, how fantastic was that? Yeah. And and then that next generation that came in even better. And I thank you very much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I never got to see you play. I would have been, I would have been like in first grade when you were a senior and I didn't start going to girls basketball games yet, but I used to go to the Lawrenceville library and read like old daily records and just read, I just be a Red Hill historian, just read about these back when I was like a, a teenager, I would go on a Saturday afternoon and read the, and I, that's when I first heard of you was uh, looking at these old papers from like 79 and 80. And I had no idea we had a player of your caliber back there at this time. So you've been someone I've, um, I, I'm excited to get to talk to you and I've looked up to you for quite a while and it's great to get to know you. And, and I think it's going to be that way with our audience. I think there's a, there's a big portion of our audience that don't really, um, I mean, there's no, there's not pictures of you in the trophy case or anything like that. So there's that don't know a lot about what an amazing career you had at Red Hill. So I'm glad we get to share this story with, um, um, a whole new generation to get to learn about your career. And don't forget, we've got the movie rights. Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you guys are funny. I, I appreciate it so much. Um, you know, just, it was really such a great time. And I, I can't tell you as a community, how supportive everybody was. And, 
you know, I, I will say for me, one of the, you know, one of the things that made me proud and happy is when I would see the little girls in the grocery stores with their parents and they would be like, I'm going to play basketball whenever I get into sixth grade. And you were just like, yes, yeah. that's what this is all about. And so it's great to see it. And it's great to see where women's sports is now. And now it's such a non-issue as, you know, it's great to see that. Too. Right. So, but thank you guys very much for asking me to come on. You're, you're a true Red Hill legend and we truly, truly appreciate it. Susan, we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Take Thanks, care, Susan. Guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye thank you, Susan. Hey, don't forget our sponsors here on the Old School Red Hill Podcast, People State Bank, Andrews Insurance Agency, Tyler Griffin's Pizza House, and of course, Gray's Restaurant. We truly, truly appreciate their sponsorship. Let them know that you heard about them right here on the Old School Red Hill Podcast. And if your business is interested in getting their word out to local residents, just let us know. Contact us through the Facebook page or oldschoolredhill at gmail.com. We would love to have you as a sponsor. Chip, Dave, Gary, that was awesome. Yeah, that, that was great. So like, like I said, oh, fantastic. There, you, yeah, Brian, you and Chip did a great job. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it was pretty Thank easy. You. I mean, you know, she, she's lived, lived a cool life. She had a great career. Um, and she's a good storyteller. <laughs> it's pretty easy to just settle yeah, on a I mean, tee and let her hit it. Yeah. I just had to throw some things out on the high school years and just let her go from there. She's a great guest. Yeah. I've never, obviously I've never spoken to Susan in my life, but after we, you know, after speaking with her, you could tell her passion, her drive, her goal setting. I mean, she could write a book on goal setting and how to accomplish mm-hmm. goals. And obviously she's done just about everything she'd ever set out to do, but it was very, very impressive person. It was awesome talking to her and yeah. learning about her history there. Fantastic. And, and, uh, you know, again, we haven't said it yet, but I'm sure it'll get its own podcast. I mean, we've got to do a podcast and maybe we can, uh, you know, maybe we could do one of those after post COVID get people in the same room with microphones and, and have that whole team. in. that would just be really, really cool. That song that Robert Clymer used to direct all the time in uh, the Red Hill Gymnasium signals the end of this podcast. Chip Jamerson, wrap us up, brother. And then that's Susan Wright on alto sax playing, too. We didn't even get to her band career, but on alto sax, <laughs> Susan Wright on that song. I forgot to bring so, up her uh, her summer softball playing for Wabash Coffee. We And her um, and her comedy routine that she did at the Variety Show in 1979 with Lee Akers. So there's do it all. <laughs> well, you know what we did bring up? I mean, we talked about Kara Harvey Picks. Yes. Yeah. Farm chores. Adam Warner. Yep. Rhonda Rhonda Fornshell. Rhonda Fornshell. Yes. Mr. C. I mean, oh, that was that was one of my favorite. The guy that (laughs) he won the last podcast, the Mr. Dixon podcast, Mr. C. Those that was maybe my favorite part of the whole show. He may be the first two-time winner. Yes. Terry McAdell. Yes. Terry McAdell. He gave he gave her the. You know, get the player spin on your hip and yes. spin move. I love oh, it's it. awesome. Terry McAdow's beard makes another podcast yes. mention. Eight shows now it's been mentioned. <laughs> Thank you, it's Phyllis. Now ahead of, it's now ahead of Darby Wagner on mentions on the show. <laughs> Thank you, Phyllis Darby Kimmel. Darby just caught up again, though. <laughs> Darby just caught up again. So. <laughs> They're going back and forth. But anyway, great show. Uh, appreciate you listening. We'll be back um, at a maximum 
of two weeks. Who, who knows? Maybe sooner than that if we have a good idea and we turn the mics on. But uh, let the sponsors know that you heard them here, and we appreciate it. For David King, Gary Emmons, Chip Jamerson, I am Brian Emmons, and we are Red Hill. Red Hill.